Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nations Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief here at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. This week, I'm talking with Thomas McNaughton and Ryan Polnow, the co-executive chefs and partners at Flower and Water Hospitality Group, a San Francisco-based operation dishing upscale pizzas and pastas across multiple concepts and now CPG. Their newest venture, Flower and Water Pizzeria, is a 4,000-square-foot space with a full-service pizzeria, a dough production facility, and a quick-service pizza shop slinging pies through takeout and delivery. This is a model that the pair hope to expand through a hub-and-spoke model. Thomas and Ryan join the podcast to talk about how they're planning to maintain quality and integrity as they scale, why they're turning to CPG as a new revenue stream, and how they're taking tips from none other than Apple as they plan their hub and spoke strategy. In this conversation, you will learn more about why you shouldn't be afraid to hit the reset button on your business plan, how it's possible to scale your business without being a sellout, and how your flagship location really needs to set the vibe for your brand. Jumping now into my interview with Flower and Water Hospitality Group partners, Thomas McNaughton and Ryan Polnow. Just so you know who is who, Thomas is the first voice that you will hear. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my six takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, I'm here with Ryan Polnow and Thomas McNaughton, the co-chefs and partners in Flower and Hospitality, Flower and Water Hospitality Group. Water, be very key to what you guys are doing along with Flower out of San Francisco. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Sam, yeah, thanks, thanks Sam. Happy to be here. So let's just start by getting into the flower and water story. You guys have been at this now for going on, I guess, about 14 years. What's the origin story for flower and water and how you guys got into uh, this particular business? Um, so flower and water, like you said, it was 14 years old uh, restaurant. <clears throat> um, it was conceived and opened in 2009 in San Francisco. And so very, very interesting time that uh, not a lot, a lot of restaurants were, were opening up. You know, it's kind of at the end of the recession. Um, and yeah, we were the, the underdogs. No one really kind of heard of us before. And um, we were raising money while we were still building the restaurant. Um, and we um, chose an opening date. We didn't put it out to the public. And somehow word got out and around four o'clock lines started forming uh, outside the restaurant. And it was a night of insanity at 4.30. I'm dry heaving in the bathroom. I uh, can't believe we're going to take this leap. Um, and it has been an absolute whirlwind since. Um, and so the, the restaurants, the heart of the menu is our pasta program. Um, and, uh, uh, specifically, um, around hand formed, um, pastas and whole animal butchery and, and small farms and, um, and, and daily changing menu. And yeah, it was just, it was, we're super fortunate. That was a rocket ship from there. 
And slowly but eventually, we formed into not just Flower and Water, but Flower and Water Hospitality Group um, and have expanded um, from there. So 2023, we have Flower and Water, a restaurant down the street, Penny Roma. We have Flower and Water Pasta Shop, a bar called Trick Dog. Um, And uh, we just moved uh, one of our restaurants, Flower and Water Pizzeria, to a, to a bigger and better location. And it's an interesting expansion story where we're really going off of a hub and spoke model um, from there. So it's been an interesting 14 years. So, so flour and water, obviously two very key ingredients to making great pasta as well as great dough. Um, but tell me what's, tell me about the meaning behind flour and water. Why is that so crucial to not only your, your, your restaurant, but also this whole hospitality group? Right. Uh, I was in Italy at the time and I was, uh, what they call stodging or working in a, a pasta laboratorio in Bologna and laboratorio sounds like scientific. It's just a bunch of old ladies rolling out um, from mozzarella on wooden tables. And uh, myself and Ryan's business partner, David Steele, I would, uh, it was at the, like, this was way back when, where um, I literally had to like collect coins and go to a payphone and would, would call Steele as we're developing the, the business plan. And I remember one of the first phone calls, he said, I got it and I got the name. It's going to be flour and water. And on the other end, it was like silence. And I was like, what a goddamn terrible name. That sounds <laughs> awful. <laughs> and he's like, no one will ever forget it. And I'll have the splash. And it's really like at the core of, um, of rustic Italian food. It's like literally uh, the combination of flour and water, the origin of pasta, the origin of, of pizza dough. Um, and... Um, and unforgettable. But so it also started this trend within the restaurant group that our naming conventions for a lot of things are purposely simplistic. And so we have like private dining rooms and those private dining rooms are literally named like so simplistic. It's the dough room because that's where we produce all of the dough. Uh, we have this beautiful one above Penny Roma. It's called the upstairs. Um, and so it started this trend of incredibly simplistic, uh, simplistic names. So, and fast forward through the years, there is now they've been, um, carbon copied, uh, all over the world. And so we, we own the rights to flour and water within the United States, but not outside the United States. And so there's a flour and water, Australia. There's a uh, flower and water uh, in Eastern Europe. Um, No affiliation. Zero affiliation. Some of the websites are literally like carbon copies of our old website. Um, So I've heard, I've heard of many other copycats quite like that. That's, I guess you could take that as flattering, right? It means you're doing something. Yeah. Yeah. On a good day. On a good day. (laughs) Now you guys, you guys put a lot of stock into that plus sign too, right? The plus sign is pretty important. You you use that in a lot of stuff. Am, am I am I misreading that, or is that kind of an icon? That plus no, sign? no, it's it's actually really fascinating. We did a, a, a an article with Bon Appetit a, a couple of years ago. It's interesting because it's flour and water, right? And but it really reads flour plus water, <laughs> and no right. one ever confuses it. It's never it's never been an issue. Um, and the um, 
that plus symbol um, became uh, maybe a guiding light for us, like uh, as an additive. And so not only through like marketing material. So like our new pizza boxes is like this, like repetition of this plus symbol, super cool, beautiful. Um, but also internally, it's like an additive, like, like we, we want to be additive to whether it's someone's daily experience, life, um, education. Um, so it kind of became maybe, maybe a mantra is a better, better, um, better word for it. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Ryan, what were you going to say about the, the name too? Uh, just, you know, everything that we do, we, we take the, the foundation and the core of what it is very seriously as far as educating ourselves on historical Italian cooking techniques and then bringing that to Bay Area produce or, or whatever it may be. And so uh, I don't think David Steele even knew what he was doing, but by emphasizing flour and water, the core of dough, the core of pizza and pasta it it really set the tone for us to pay close attention to that foundation to make sure that we can grow strongly from there. And, uh, you know, there's no turning back now. 14 years later, we are Flower and Water Hospitality Group forever. It it feels it feels right. <laughs> yeah, it's taking you some time, but you're getting there. <laughs> well, and, and, and to that end, as you guys have scaled – you know, Ryan, you use that word foundation, or I, I sort of saw, I wondered if this flower and water is sort of a compass for you almost. How have you, as you have scaled to multiple concepts, how do you maintain that foundation throughout all of your concepts of flower and water? Well, I think for us, uh, evolution and never resting on our laurels is really important. And the the original location of flower and water on 20th and Harrison street in the mission it, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have a, a, a busy bustling dining room every night. And every year we could quite easily repeat last year's summer, fall, winter, spring dishes. And uh, I, I believe we would still impress most of our guests, but we, we don't allow ourselves to do that. And we're, we're constantly analyzing what we do. Is it the best way to do it? Are we, are we representing small farms in the micro seasons that exist here in Northern California the best that we can? And I think for 14 straight years of constantly questioning ourselves, is this the best version of flour and water at the original location has created the, the platform for the entire group to, to grow from. And really, you know, that's what Thomas and I really enjoy is, you know, analyzing, getting in there, involving the team in that property to, to ask the question, is this the best version of ourselves? Are we giving our guests the best dining experience? And, uh, and really not taking any of that for granted and, and trying to push forward. So, Speaking of, I want to get into kind of this idea of, of you guys scaling your business um, because just a lot of ways in which this really fascinates me and we're going to specifically drill into kind of your omni-channel approach to growth. But I, but I first wanted to talk a little bit about sort of your geographic approach to growth because as I understand it, you guys are, are all restaurants on that 20th Street corridor in the Mission District. You focus, you've really focused on a small geographic area. I'm wondering what went into that decision. 
So a couple of things. Well, one, the new pizzeria is actually in North Beach. And okay. so it's about a 20-minute drive. All of our other restaurants are on the 20th Street corridor in a, in a two-block radius. That 20-minute drive now seems like a two-day plane. You know, it just seems so, <laughs> yeah, so incredibly far. Um, it was – we were very lucky that we found the location for the original Flower and Water. And technically, it's in the Mission – but really, it's like in between the Mission and Potrero Hill, two neighborhoods. Um, and there, it was kind of no man's land uh, to a certain extent. And fortunate that it was a destination restaurant and that worked and, and people traveled uh, for it. Um, it was investing in, you know, not unlike we invest in our community of employees. Um, we wanted to invest in that community. We saw a huge amount of potential. And so this like vein of 20th street that runs down, we just kept opening concepts there. Um, and we are very, very humble in how we, we, we articulate things about the restaurant group. And this doesn't feel humble, but it was awesome that we helped create this, this, this place. And, um, uh, now Fast forward years later, there's all these other concepts, all these other restaurants that are moving in there. And that's such an amazing thing. We do not believe in competition as like, as far as that it's only, it only benefits everybody. And so now there's like the synergy of, of happenings down there. Um, and it really, really, really paid off. So it was like really investing in the place, the community, um, and, um, it's very cool to see all of that come to, to fruition over the, over the years. It's kind of amazing. I've seen this happen time and again, how much that chefs can change a neighborhood with just by, you know, it doesn't, it's not just one restaurant. Sometimes it can take one restaurant to just take a chance on a neighborhood that, that is, you know, maybe down on its luck or whatever, but a collective of restaurants, that community aspect can really have a major impact and suddenly become economically vibrant. What's the change that you've seen over 14 years of putting restaurants in this neighborhood? Um, maybe, maybe this is a bit of a bit of a stretch, but uh, there's this great um, story and like documentation of bringing wolves back to Yosemite and how they like, how they really truly affect the, the ecosystem there. Um, man, it's, it's, and like things that you would not add, like, not even think of. Um, I think it's the same and not to say that like, we're the sole reason for that, but, um, interesting parts of cities where they like ebb and flow and through time, like there's such a, there's such a, if you look at the national news, there's such as like a doom and gloom story around San Francisco. And I think that most San Franciscans don't necessarily think that same way. There's always room for improvement, but, there's amazing like Instagram videos of um, people talking like on the news and it's like San Francisco and like all this like doom and gloom. But the video is pictures of how beautiful San Francisco is and like parks and people out and like all like, um, uh, you know, so the, the, the neighborhood from everything from, you know, I, I also think like when I talk about competition, it's like a dress shop. Like if you have a dress shop in the middle of nowhere, Maybe people will go there to buy a dress. But if you're on like a fashion 
aisle where it's like multiple places to go there and shop, more people will come to, to, to your business, you know? And so to evolve it where more people are coming to that neighborhood and maybe it's for a cup of coffee, maybe it's for, uh, to, to go shopping or to eat at a restaurant. Like I said, the more synergy, the more really cool things happen. And, um, and I think that it's important to understand your place in all that. So a tidbit, like we remodeled flower and water pasta shop and it used to have a, 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 this beautiful vintage espresso machine in it. And there's amazing, amazing, uh, coffee house right next door. It's like glass coffee. Um, and so we had this, it's taking up all this real estate within the space. And it's like, well, why do we have an espresso machine? Does this neighborhood, does it really serve this neighborhood or is that a service that's already here? And, and, you know, so we like tailor that back. So I think it's, it's part of the puzzle piece is how you fit in understanding that, that how can you be an additive to that neighborhood? Um, is, is kind of the thought I think for us. And, and if you think about like what a restaurant is like, sure, it's a place to feed your belly, but really what it is, it's a gathering place. It's a place for a community. And when, when you have that as a singular location, that benefits the neighborhood. But then when that grows into something that's happened like on 20th street corridor of, you know, there's three uh, artisanal cocktail bars, there's uh sightglass coffee, there's Atlas, the, the local cafe right across the street. There's, there's restaurants. It's, you know, multiple gathering places that create uh, a neighborhood where Folks might go to 20th Street now, not even with reservation or knowing where they're going to have dinner or that pre-dinner cocktail, and and you have options there. And so, it's uh, really this this gathering of gathering places that's made, uh, especially at nighttime, the the neighborhood really special. Hmm. You guys have cultivate community as I, th I think it's one of your core values. You certainly have it right there on your website for the hospitality group talking about how cultivating communities is very important to you. Tell me what else that means for you. How do you as a hospitality group cultivate community and how do you envision that scaling? Because you guys are clearly you're, you're in growth mode. You want to scale this thing. How do you continue to cultivate community even as you're going to communities 20 minutes away? I mean, the, the word community can have so many meanings with within restaurants and uh, community as far as colleagues and doing collaborative guest chef dinners or or culinary events is one way to look at it. Uh, for, for us, it's much broader than that. It's also uh, local charities and nonprofits, things that as a, a restaurant group that has a following we have a platform. How can we, we benefit them, whether it's through exposure or, or actual donation through uh, different like culinary or beverage applications. And, you know, we, we try to involve the neighborhood in as much that we do as possible because it's, it's important to us. And, even recently, we've started a, a collaborative with uh, a local artist, Wendy Chen, who does this really beautiful uh, rope knot art. And uh, she's 
working with us directly to to invent and create a new pasta shape, taking what she's learned through her expertise in knots and applying that to to tying noodles. And so any little thing that we can do to to make a neighborhood feel like a community and and have the the comforts of that it's something that you know we want to um we strive for that that openness and that uh kind of goes back to the same point earlier like they're they're gathering places restaurants and it's all about uh, about human beings and and touching lives hmm. and we go as far as uh, Dave Seal, we mentioned, he's spearheading uh, a collective. So 20th Street, all different businesses now. So from Cyclass Coffee, True Laurel, all of our restaurants, Atlas Cafe, all these different businesses. <clears throat> We're starting a collective that's fed from a nonprofit to improve that neighborhood, whether that's like through cleanliness um, uh, landscaping, just really like having the community invest back into that. And, um, you know, it's interesting going from 20th street where we're maybe help crafting and then opening a business in North beach and North beach in San Francisco is like a small town within the city. Mm. It is a well, well established, very, uh, lengthy history of being a very small community. When we enter that, um, it was so incredibly important that we did that in the most respectful manner. Um, you know, being from the East coast, it's like, uh, it reminds me of Philly a little bit, like, uh, just a little bit more old school and a little bit more spit in a handshake. Uh, I love that. And, you know, entering that, for instance, it's like literally asking whether it's, Local businesses, um, uh, different chapters of, of, uh, of people there of saying like, hey, how can we help? How can we be of service? And it's like it just feeds full full circle. So that. that's great. That's great. Um, like getting back to, to scaling the business, um, you know, you guys as chefs, uh, presumably your goal as chefs is to just open a great restaurant, cook your food. Um, but did you have a vision for what you envision, you know, becoming this group becoming, did you set out with a business plan and say, you know, we're going to open this restaurant then we're going to go to CPG, then we're going to have a, you know, quick service. How, what did your vision of growth look like originally? And then at what point did you kind of realize it could be something more? If you, if you read the original business plan for flower and water, it's radically different than, than what happened. Um, and it was a very small neighborhood restaurant. We had a delivery bicycle that would like just deliver to like, uh, I forget what it was like a four block radius. Um, and so it's really a tale of, uh, of two restaurant groups. It feels like, and I know that we're very, very sick of talking about the pandemic and, um, but it's such a huge part of our story. Pre-pandemic, our growth was very organic and it was very, uh, I like to say, like tortured artists. Like we wanted to do this artistic project and this, and let's take on this. And it was very, very organic. And we grew to over 200 employees and the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden it's six partners that, that are left over. 
And it was the first time that we almost had like a breath of fresh air. Mm. And we said, what the hell do we want to do? And how do we want to move forward? And it was this incredibly, incredibly impactful uh, time and exercise for us. And we were able to like wipe the slate clean and say, listen, all the noise is gone. What do we want to do? Who do we want to show up as? How do we want to expand? Um, and so many different things uh, came from that. We birthed a new restaurant, Penny Roma. We were so sick of this defensiveness of, uh, of COVID. And myself and Ryan were outside like swinging hammers and built our own parklet for flour and water. Nice. Uh, we're doing to go food. And, and originally, like, as it evolved on water, like, we don't do food to go. Noodles, pizza, like Neapolitan pizza doesn't travel well. We're not doing it. All of a sudden, we're like flinging food outside of our windows. And there's a, you know, San Francisco's freezing at 4 p.m., but we're trying to feed people in this like parklet. We just stopped, wiped the slate clean. What are we going to do? And we got on the offense. We did a massive renovation of Flower and Water original, completely redid the dining room and the, and the kitchen. We, and we, we, we just wrote down, we basically started a brand new business plan for Flower and Water Hospitality Group. Hmm. And besides cleaning up 20th Street, um, we had two main growth pillars. And the two main growth pillars were to enter CPG, Consumer Packaged Goods, and doing it in a way that had the utmost integrity and things that we really, really believe in. Um, and the expansion of flour and water pizzerias in a hub and spoke model. And those two main growth pillars really created um, the trajectory that we're on now, but also a massive amount of, um, of structure. I think myself and Ryan have always fought like kind of a corporate structure for, for far too long. And we want everything to feel like a mom and pop space. Um, and, but can that exist with having more structure behind it? Um, and all the way down to all of our restaurants prior were, were LLCs and we formed everything into a C Corp to then be able to get B Corp uh, certification. And so like it just changed everything just radically changed when we had time to breathe. Um, and you know, the pandemic, uh, shone a light on how fortunate we are to have our six partners and the support system that we have to then be able to grow. Um, so I imagine then too, looking at these two new paths that you carved for yourself, CPG, in that hub and spoke model, you know, clearly you thought to yourself, there's something beyond 20th street. There, there is a business that you, you saw that you could scale beyond that neighborhood, that community. Um, and so starting, I guess, with the CPG piece of this, what, why CPG? I mean, this is actually pretty unique for the restaurant world beyond the major brands that find these kind of major partnerships to go into CPG world. For an independent business like yours, um, this is fairly unique. So tell me about the decision to go into CPG and what you see that business looking like going forward. Um, 
so a couple of different things. Um, and one at the main core, it's around regenerative agriculture. We're very fortunate to have very busy restaurants, but the impact of those busy restaurants, the reach really is not that great. Meaning that we only do, we do a couple of hundred people at each restaurant a night. Um, how do we, how do we lengthen or how do we grow the reach and our impact? And we always were asked to do many, many things, many different charities and many different, like, and we, and we felt like we were giving a lot to, to a little, a little here and a little here and a little here. We are a hundred percent all in on regenerative agriculture. Um, and, uh, the CPG, the consumer package good of releasing four lines of dried pasta, um, is around being a part of the conversation, how North American wheat is grown. And so it's not just about hucking a box of pasta. Uh, how do we have a greater impact? Um, and how can we sit with the, the big boys um, in negotiating wheat for the, the next year? And so there's that side of it. And the other side of it is how our brand grows and there's synergy between flour and water pizzerias and consumer packaged goods. And if you asked me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, do you want a line of dried pasta? I'd be like, hell no, sell out, sell out. No, no, no. And it's like, right. can we do, can we do this with the utmost integrity? And can we put forth a product that is, that we really, really believe in the fucked up part of pasta is that all those big guys that you see on that supermarket shelf, and it's a very, very tired shelf, meaning it's the big guys and that's it. And there's like trying to sneak in the little ones and that's it. They have such a control of it. Like 99% of all that pasta is North American Durham semolina. And they bill it as this is Italian. This is the Italian product and it's made like it's grown here. It's milled here. Maybe it's shipped back there and, and extrude it. Maybe it's milled there, but it's a ma majority of it because it's the best Durham semolina in the world. Mm -hmm. And so can we present ourselves as a proud American pasta company that believes in, in it and um, put forth an organic hopefully soon certified regenerative agriculture product um, that has the, the utmost, the utmost quality. And so um, disrupting that set, that aisle is not a small undertaking. Um, and it forced us to look outside of our circle. And from that, we met an amazing new partner in the restaurant group one that has years and years and years of, of experience there. And all of a sudden Dan Nostoiko comes in and we like this and we brought him on as a consultant. And then all of a sudden we're like, no, we want to be, he believes in the same things that we, we believe in. Um, it had impact for the entire company and, and Dan, you know, like almost 30 years of CPG experience um, brought all this infrastructure to the company. If we're taking on CPG, and we're forming this like B Corp certified company, we need a board of directors. And all of a sudden we have this like crazy heavy hitter uh, set of board of directors 
that people that are like really, really helping us guide the company with our values in mind um, and, and to be able to push forward. So it was just all of a sudden a part of this bigger picture that allowed for a ton of infrastructure for, for the rest of the company. And it's a gamble. It's that we, are, we are rolling the dice because we want flour and water foods to be a national product one day. Um, and it is a massive undertaking to disrupt that market and get in there. But again, it's about how our brand and brand recognition grows. So flour and water pizzeria being a hub and spoke model will go to different geographical locations. And can we use the synergy of this branding to enter those different markets and help them both elevate and, and grow and expansion growth does not have to, but doesn't often involve integrity. And that's, what's most important to us. Like we're not here to just sling some, some, some average product. Um, right. Can we grow with integrity? You know, and we always look to companies outside of our run, like Patagonia um, is a massive company. There's a massive yeah. amount of integrity in everything that they do. It exists out there. Can we do that in the food world? Hmm. Uh, Ryan, no, tell me about stealing the microphone. You got me all hopped up now. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, and Ryan, I was going to say, I mean, you know, going from, uh, again, an independent, independent pasta shop to CPG, was that difficult to figure out how to get that product right? I mean, how do you how do you make sure you are maintaining integrity of the product, but also making sure the quality of the product is sound? What is that process like? Was it difficult to land on a on a CPG pasta that was up to your standards? Well, absolutely. And taking something that we do in a restaurant setting on a small small scale every single day and turning that into uh, shelf stable and larger production. Uh, there was a, a great period of R&D from Thomas and myself. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of R&D on our end. Um, and it really started with defining what performance qualities were, were imperative to us and extruding through bronze dyes. Number one, most important, bronze dyes are slightly porous compared to Teflon that's very smooth. So bronze is gonna give you that added texture that creates inevitably a, a better finished bowl of pasta, uh, a slow dry process. So the pasta is not brittle. And when you cook a pound of Campanile, you have a cooked pound of Campanile and not broken noodles. And so what we did is we, we took everything that we do in the flour and water pasta shop and uh, all of those performance qualities. And we had to, uh, to search for a, a partner to turn that into uh, a scaled version. And so uh, besides sourcing North American organic Durham semolina, really, really important to us sourcing in general, uh, extruding through bronze dyes and Really what we're doing with the dried pasta is the same thing that we do in the restaurant every single day on a, on a larger scale. Okay. So moving on to that hub and spoke model, tell me about that because 
I hear chains use that uh, terminology. I, you know, I, I understand what a hub and spoke looks like, but what does it look like for you guys? And how is this new expansion of the pizzeria fulfilling your vision for a hub and spoke? The uh, so so you know at the core. Um, so we we moved Flower and Water um, Pizzeria to a new location. Uh, we needed more space, right? And so. This iconic restaurant, Rose Pistola in San Francisco, that paved the way for restaurants like Flower and Water. You know, in the 90s, early 2000s, it was, uh, it, it helped birth Italian food in San Francisco. Um, and the, uh, so this iconic space, it's very large. We were looking for two entrances um, and 4,000 square feet. We split it into three spaces. So 75 seat pizzeria, full service, full, um, uh, full liquor program, beverage program. The center of it is a glassed in dough room that you can see us producing all of our dough. Um, and then the back entrance and why we wanted that second entrance was, um, uh, final water pizza shop, which is our quick service version of it and also the home of all of our delivery drivers. And so we can, um, so it's a separate entrance and a separate model. It's this whole other different beast with, with pizza delivery. Um, and the idea was that any, any yeast based product is incredibly difficult to control. And how do we add as much control as possible? Our dough is a pain in the butt. It's like a three to four day process. Even better if it's a five-day process, uh, how we ferment our doughs, how it's treated, the hydration level. There's just so many different nuances to it. We want to control that as much as possible. So a hub and spoke for us meant that, that this dough room and this restaurant, we're going to create not only as our flagship, but centralized production of dough. And so we will have a team. We won't have many teams making dough. We will have a team making dough and it'll send it out to smaller footprints. And so the 75 seat restaurant is the flagship for our space. And that's how you interact with that brand. And you can come and it's restaurant cool. You know, it's fun. It's lively. It's beautiful, beautiful space. Uh, really, really fun, you know, drinks, um, boozy slushy. Uh, but the back entrance of that to go, we don't want a pizza to travel over 20 minutes. Uh, we engineered this dough to be just as good in the restaurant as it is in your home. And so as we expand the spokes, and this is completely different for us, those locations are really, um, dependent on delivery radius. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, the East Bay does not, you cannot get flour and water pizzeria delivered uh, to your house. And so when we enter the East Bay, we can give a smaller, smaller footprint, you know, 1,500, 2,000 square foot footprint, because all of our dough production is off site and we can have it delivered there. It can enter proof for retarders, be perfectly set. Um, and... And again, it's a, that expansion is around delivery radiuses, so our pizza isn't traveling, and it can go to different geographical locations. And so um, it sounds, it's the opposite 
it doesn't sound humble, but <laughs> we start to talk about it like Apple, where the uh, where the Apple store, you go and you interact with that brand and you you get the vibe of, of that of that brand. And then you can go home a couple of days later, you can order an iPhone and can deliver it to your to your house. The different interaction with that brand. We wanted the flagship. We wanted to set the vibe of the pizzeria um, through atmosphere, branding, all those different things. But how do we deliver it to your home? Um, and so the the Bay Area is a little little test model for this kind of hub and spoke. And so the idea, and this is maybe getting a little too far uh, too ahead of ourselves, is that say it goes to Seattle, it's the same idea. That there's yeah. a flagship location that's the brand, and then we look at different delivery radiuses outside of it. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's a really creative model. Um, you know, it's funny though because up until three years ago, you know, you were you would not send anything to go, nothing delivered. You just you just swore it off. But of course, now we live in a different world in which that off-premises, whatever you want to call it, uh, is critical to success. Tell me about your the learning curve you guys have gone through in developing a counter service delivery heavy concept. How how has that gone for you? What have you learned along the way? Um, So, so both sides of the, uh, (laughs) the, uh, so, so two things, two, two sides of the, the, the playing field here, one flower and water elevated pasta experience, um, and we went through all of these different like changes on how do we make this a great product to, to get to your, to your home. And I think a lot, every single restaurant pivoted to this. We, we, we use a very specific pizza oven um, that we're obsessed with. And it's called Pizza Master. Pizza Master during the pandemic was their highest grossing year. They could not fulfill all the orders because so many different restaurants were like, I, I need ovens. We need to do pizza. You know, higher end restaurants are like, now we're doing a fried chicken sandwich. Um, (laughs) So now that curve, I think, is coming back and normalizing and staying true to who we are at Flower and Water original. Right. That's where we're like, we're ripping out. We're ripping out the the parklet because people are freezing out there. Um, We're not setting. So like normalizing and going back and saying very, very true. To, 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 um, to, to what the concept was originally. I think it's very important. Now you're starting to see that with restaurants. On the flip side, pizza and delivery is something that so many people have interacted with their life. It, it, most people have had a pizza delivered to their house. Um, and uh, so the construction, the design, the layout, the infrastructure that exists at the pizzeria very much at the at the forefront is how do we deliver an incredibly incredibly high quality quality pizza so so two parts one pushing the dial and, and i think that the the pandemic really is an accelerator for for trends and one of the the trends that it really accelerated was delivery to your home right and it's not unlike like i mean amazon it's like, what kind of soap do I want right now? And I just like get on the, like whatever, whatever uh, random thing that you want. So like it was already happening, but now you see it more with like, say, elevated food. Um, and, you know, pizza, again, is this thing that's like everyone interacts with um, uh, from a delivery. So 
I don't know if that answered the question. Or I just the, went the on a e-com- random e-commerceification. I think I heard somebody call it e-commerceification of everything, and that includes totally. upscale restaurants. Yeah, Ryan, what what yeah, have you yeah, learned yeah. along this way? Have you learned anything about uh, quick service, counter service, delivery, all of that good stuff? Well, the the most interesting part for for us was really the the research and development and testing of of food offerings. You know, before at Flower and Water or Penny Rama, we'll we'll test out a new dish because uh, seasons are changing or a produce item comes uh, comes to market, and you know we'll sit around as a a team of chefs, we'll taste, we'll tweak, we'll analyze. We're doing the same thing for the pizzeria concept, but we also have to say, okay, well, how's this going to perform twenty to thirty minutes later? So we'll get a, a particular menu item to a point where we're happy with it. And then we'll say, okay, put it in a hot box for 20 minutes and then take it out. And then let's do the same process. How did it hold up? What tweaks do we have to make so that from delivery driver pickup to journey to someone's home, are we still proud of it? And does it still have that same integrity that we want to put the flower and water name on? And so really adjusting the mindset of does it taste great in the moment, but also does it taste great 20 minutes later? Uh, it's been the biggest change for us as, as chefs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Uh, last question for you guys. You know, you mentioned how with the pandemic, you guys kind of reset and you came up with this new business plan and you, it's led you into CPG. It's led you into this hub and spoke model. And you're two months into that hub and spoke model uh, with this new uh, flagship for the pizzeria and and exploring where that goes. I'm curious how your vision for what you hope to accomplish as chefs and restaurateurs has changed. When you look at what you hope to accomplish, where does that stand today and how do all of this, how does this diversified business model help you get there? Ryan, let's start with you. Yeah, well, I think first it's important to recognize that uh, it it wasn't a positive that the pandemic forced a reset, Um, but, you know, silver lining from a very, very negative and difficult time was, you know, restaurants don't get a a chance to pause. You know, once you're up and running and the machine's working, there's very little time to say, hey, time out, let's let's analyze, are we moving in the direction we want to be moving? Are we, are we showing up as the best restaurateurs? Uh, so it, it forced us to pause. And from that question, what's important to us as a hospitality group? And one of the most important answers to that, what's important to us, was uh, growth of, of our team. People that have, have been with us, have made Flower and Water what it is today, 14 years later. And... How do we create career opportunities for for many? And for a standalone restaurant, there's only so many chef positions or front of house management positions or, you know, uh, levels of growth within an organization. And by having this more diversified approach to not just hospitality, but also uh, consumer packaged goods, branch of the company, what we've done 
is in a very organic way, we've created uh, career opportunities for many that allows us to have op- opportunities for for key players and and folks that you know want to uh, want to turn hospitality into a career, which it very much should be looked at as as a career and, and not just a job. And so, to me, that's the the best thing that's happened to the trajectory of our growth is we're now creating those opportunities. Thomas, how about for you? What, what have you, how do you feel like your vision oh, has changed or evolved? Sam, Sam, I'm out. I'm, uh, I'm going to go to college and get a real job is, uh, <laughs> is what it evolved to. That's how everything has changed. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, Ryan touched base on it. Um, as we evolve, we talk about food less and less and less. And as long if, if our like, you know, our driving force is the people that we surround ourselves with, um, the food then becomes the easy part. And it's like, it's so true to say like a happy cook makes better food. Um, and so as we evolve, we talk about food less and less. And we talk about the thousand different things that go in from the impact that we want on the environment to the impact that we want on employees from education, like all these things that we're talking about them, the food is like then becomes the easy part. And it's less and less about the food because, um, that's, you know, um, it's, it's not at the core of what we do. And like, if the core of what we do is just setting up plates Fucking boxes of pasta. Um, it's, 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 it's not worth our time. You know, restaurants are chaos. They're chaos. They're difficult. Um, they're amazing. You know, the energy that comes from all the things. And so, yeah, I think less and less about food, more and more about people and, and things start to fall into place for us. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, Ryan, Thomas, I really appreciate you guys taking some time to to share the story and good luck to you guys with Flower and Water. That was my interview with Flower and Water Hospitality Group partners, Thomas McNaughton and Ryan Polnow. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my six takeaways. My first takeaway is that sometimes simpler is better. In describing the name of their group, Flower and Water, Thomas and Ryan really emphasized how those are very fundamental ingredients to what they're doing in their high-quality pastas and pizzas, and so they wanted to keep it simple. You know, it's funny because Thomas joked at the beginning that there's no way Flower and Water could possibly be their name. But in keeping it simple, it has really helped to focus what they want their business to be. They are focusing on those dishes that you can make with flour and water, notably pasta and pizza. But it's also really helped them keep their uh, focus um, scaled down to uh, very specific ingredients and and how they can make those particular ingredients really shine in what they're doing and emphasize, of course, the quality of what they're doing. You know, now that they have kept this 
very nice and tight around that flower and water brand. They have the rights to that in the U.S. He, you know, Thomas explained there are copycats globally because they don't have the rights to it globally. Uh, but uh, again, flour and water are two such common ingredients, and that combination is so common that nationally they've really rolled out the red carpet, so to speak, for themselves as they look to grow because flour and water is something that everybody around the country can really embrace and understand what they are out doing. My second takeaway is that restaurants are vital to community ecosystems. Um, obvious to anybody who runs a restaurant, because in your community, you, you are a part of that ecosystem. Um, but when you really look at what Ryan and Thomas are doing, I think it's uh, a very special thing they've done in the Mission District in San Francisco. Uh, in a two-block radius, they've opened up multiple concepts and really helped to participate in elevating that community, um, you know, it's it's important because it can economically rejuvenate a neighborhood. We've talked about that on this podcast before. But, you know, Thomas explained things, I think, really well when he said, you know, restaurants are a part of this sort of ebb and flow of cities. And, uh, and you know, you, you want to be a part of that and part of uh, really creating the character of a city. And he says, you know, he uses the example of when they added an espresso machine, he wanted to be, they wanted to be additive to their community. They wanted to provide an opportunity for people to drop in and grab a coffee while they're going about their day. Um, you know, this is a really great lens through which you should look at your own concept in your own community. How are you being additive? How are you a part of the ecosystem? It's not just transactional. Yes, it can be where, you know, people swing in, they grab a cup of coffee, they grab whatever from your restaurant and out the door they go. And it's, just a part of their routine. Um, but it, it can be so much more to that. You can be a critical component to the economy, the livelihood, the culture of your community, just as um, Flower and Water are doing, just as uh, Thomas and Ryan have designed for their company. Now it's interesting because as they scale, they have opened now a pizza shop in the North Beach neighborhood in San Francisco. And Thomas said, you know, they, they want to be respectful because even though it's 20 minute drive away from their existing restaurants, they recognize it's not their neighborhood. And so they don't want to just waltz in and pretend like they own the place. There is a, a very intentional fabric to communities all over the world and you have to find your place in it. My third takeaway is don't be afraid to hit the reset button. It sounds really scary, uh, but sometimes it might be necessary. Now, for flour and water, they got kind of a forced reset, much as like many of you did during the COVID pandemic. At the beginning, you know, they just decided let's hit pause and reevaluate this entire thing. Thomas said it was like a breath of fresh air. And and truthfully, as as hard as that season was, I'm sure many of you thought the same thing because for all of a sudden you could step out of the rat race, sit at home and think to yourself, what am I doing? What is my business? What is our future? That's exactly what Thomas and Ryan did. And it ended up being very much to the benefit of flour and water because as they wiped the slate clean, as they explained it, you know, and reset their business plan, it afforded them the opportunities to see the potential in off-premises business, certainly, which everybody really discovered in the pandemic. But they also discovered that potential in CPG, consumer packaged good. And now they have this line of um, CPG pasta that they might not have ever really gotten around to if it weren't for taking that step, taking that breath in the pandemic, taking a step back and reevaluating what they are doing. 
My fourth takeaway is that you can grow your business without being a sellout. Um, this might be for those of you who are, are uh, more for the purity and the authenticity of restaurants. Of course, if you are already growing your business, maybe you don't worry about this. But there are some out there who sort of look down on this concept of a chain. There are a lot of customers out there who th think about that too. They look down on this um, concept of a chain. That's a dirty word, being a chain, which is frankly kind of silly. I think we could probably all agree. But there's something to it when you look at the, some of the chains out there that lost a little bit of their soul as they grew. Chefs especially are really trying to avoid that. Um, you know, when you have scratch-made food um, and a really high-quality, high-integrity product, uh, scaling that to multiple units can be hard without making some sacrifices. And when you make those sacrifices and you kind of lower the quality for the sake of growth and money and profit, uh, well, that's sort of the definition of what it means to be a sellout. Thomas and Ryan are looking for another way, and they really think that they have figured it out. You know, as they invest in this uh, CPG line of pastas, and as they go for this hub and spoke expansion model for their shops, you know, they are being very, very intentional about it and doing it in such a way that the quality of the food never suffers, quality of the product never suffers. They're doing this by having people on their board who know what they're doing have done this before. They're doing this um, certainly in this hub and spoke expansion model where they can control the quality of the product a little bit better. Um, but I think it's really interesting to see how, you know, they, they're not just growing for growth's sake. Um, they're really demanding in their CPG pasta, it has to be organic, it has to be this specific ingredient, this is how we're going to do it. And if we don't do it that way, then we're not going to do it at all. If you are one of these people who really wants to protect the authenticity, the quality, the purity of your product, and you don't want to be a sellout, just remember, you can maintain integrity and grow at the same time. It's a balance, and you're not going to grow maybe as fast as some other businesses might. But if it's the mission that you are committed to, then you can do it, and we won't think of you as a sellout. My fifth takeaway is that a hub and spoke model is perfect for scaling scratch made menus. So again, going back to this idea of high quality menus, how do you scale them? How do you protect that quality as you grow? I love this hub and spoke expansion model. Now, this isn't necessarily something new, but I love to see it in action as flour and water uh, is, is doing, which is this idea that you have a centralized location in a city that is a little bit more of, you know, your production facility, a, a little bit more, uh, you know, where uh, in Flower and Water's case, they have their full service restaurant. And then the spokes are the neighborhood restaurants, the shops around the city that then sell that product that's being made at your production facility. And in this case, for Flower and Water, it's their pizzas. Um, this is a really smart model. So Thomas explained it very well. You know, they want to control the quality of their dough. Dough, he said, is a really tricky thing to get right. When dough uh, in pasta and pizza is your main thing, you need to get it right. So their their flagship, their uh, their flour and water pizzeria in the Mission District is at this 4,000 square foot space where they have that dough uh, production facility. They have the full service restaurant. And then out the back door, they have the pizza shop where they're, you know, um, sending out pizzas for delivery and takeout. Um, but they're able to create their dough in that location and send that dough to the spokes, which are now, you know, the one in North Beach um, and soon to be more. 
and then follow that blueprint in other cities. So Thomas used the example that if they moved to Seattle, they would put a, a large footprint flagship somewhere central to the city of Seattle. They would make their dough in that flagship that they this would be a little bit more of an upscale facility, you know, full service restaurant, and then dot the neighborhoods around with the shops that are more quick service off premises. Uh, this is, um, I think, a smart model, again, because you are controlling the quality of your product. You're still growing to have multiple locations in a city, um, but you're, you're again, keeping that um, control of that quality so that all of the neighborhoods around the city will understand what you stand for, understand the quality of your product. They'll probably seek out your flagship as well. So it ends up being kind of this win-win model. And especially in the day and age of delivery, as Thomas and Ryan explained, you know, this expands the delivery radius for their product ultimately because they're able to pop these shops around um, the city and then, you know, be able to uh, go to more far flung, flung places in a market by, you know, delivering those pizzas. Uh, my sixth and final takeaway is that your flagship location should set the vibe and atmosphere for your brand. I really liked how Thomas explained they see their flagship almost like an Apple store. And, you know, he talked about how an Apple store, there's only, you know, really one of those in uh, most cities across the country. It's kind of this iconic place where you go to talk to their, you know, staff and really understand and see and smell and under, you know, uh, really get a vibe of what Apple's all about. Right. And uh, but then, you know, usually you'll go and order your phone online. Um, and engage with Apple from your home. And that's how they see the flower and water flagship. They see it as being, you know, their, their centralized place where they can set the tone of their brand. They can, you know, give you the, the sights, the smells, certainly the tastes and that more upscale experience. But a lot of people will engage with flower and water from their home by ordering delivery. So they see the flagship as this great opportunity to be the center of the brand, really the beating heart. And then the spokes in this hub and spoke model as being ultimately what most people will engage with the brand, but they need that understanding of what the brand is through the flagship. I think that's a really cool way to see it. And you should also look at your centralized flagship location uh, as your uh, opportunity to set the vibe for whatever and however your guests engage with your brand from there. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.